You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. Um, glad you're here with us. I'm Pastor Riz, as TJ said it. Um, but uh, so thankful for you guys joining us on Sunday morning to worship the Lord and get into his word and fellowship with one another. Thankful for what God's doing and just humbled to be a part of it. And uh, welcome. So we are in the book of Mark, and each week we're just kind of going for it verse by verse. So this, this morning we're in Mark chapter 10. So Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12 is our text this morning. Um, and it's slight of, uh, slightly a doozy, marriage and divorce, just going for it. And um, so we are, we're going to go for it because it's God's word and it's uh, profitable for correcting and teaching uh, and training us in righteousness. And so what I want to do this morning is just read it in, in entirety, Mark 10, 1 through 12, then we'll pray and dig into what uh, God's word has for us this morning. So Mark 10, 1 through 12, it says this. Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them with a question, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again. He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that You've allowed us to have it, to study it, to learn from it, and we receive it as God-breathed and God-inspired, that these are your words, this is your will for our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't cover over or you don't neglect teaching on a certain subject because it's hard or didn't address something because it was complicated but that you are a God that so loves and cares about every single part of our lives. The good, the bad, the ugly, the messy, the emotional, the trying, the trials. When we rejoice or when we mourn, thank you that you are with us and you have a plan and a purpose for every season that we're in. And God, we pray that you would instruct us by your word this morning that you would teach us, that you would equip us, that you would show us what your word says, what your design is for marriage, what the purpose of it is and why it's important. But we, would you also meet us with your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness today? 
God, there's so many of us that are in different spots that these subjects, these topics are real close to home, maybe real far for others. But they're relevant and they're, they're hard and they're complicated and it's messy. But thank you, Lord, that you stepped into our mess of humanity and that you're the God that restores and redeems and set all things right. And so we thank you for this morning and we ask that you would have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So marriage and divorce and all that we just read, it's a heavy, complicated, uh, can be very messy subject in, in our lives. And it's not just uh, something that happens to some of us or that some of us are affected by, but it's a real thing, right? The climate of our times, it's becoming even more common and um, more apparent, and so many more people are getting divorced. You know, there's statistics done in 1910. And back then in America, it was about 10% of, of U.S. marriages ended in divorce. But now that number is about 50. And that number, you know, it's about low 40s for those that just get married and divorced. And by the time your marriage goes on certain decades, the, the rate that you're just long-term separated is more towards 50%. And so that's where we get the statistic that one out of two marriages end in divorce because that is what is happening in the climate of America currently. Hawaii, though, is actually at the better end of that. The, uh, the Hawaii's, Hawaii Business Magazine did a report, and Hawaii is actually the second, uh, rated the second for the least amount of divorces in the 50 states. A lot to do with values in Hawaii and whatnot. But still, nonetheless, even though we may be, you know, the second least likely to get a divorce if you live in Hawaii, the numbers are staggering for the amount of divorces in our culture. Um, Hawaii Business Magazine even made uh, this, this um, discovery as they did research. It says this, divorce is big business, maybe even bigger than the wedding business in America. That's because contested divorces involve more than just lawyers. There are also accountants, parenting consultants, and other niche specialties to be paid, plus the money spent by the newly single to rebuild their lives. While hard numbers are impossible to nail down, various trade and business groups estimate the U.S. divorce industry falls somewhere between a conservative $50 billion a year and a startling $175 billion. By contrast, industry and trade groups put the wedding industry somewhere between $40 billion to $51 billion every year. It's, it's, it's that big of business. I mean, it's that big of issue and context. And for some of you, that it just may be closer to home, right? It may have been something that you've gone through or you've been affected of. I grew up in a divorced home. My parents got divorced when I was three, and they were never remarried until my dad actually like three years ago got remarried. But I, I grew up with, with this. I, I never knew a, a home with married parents, ever. Divorce was real for me every day, and it still is every day. And because of these statistics, there's a real sense that America, if not the world, we've really shifted in our view of what relationships are supposed to be like. And many couples 
now are, are opting to not even deal, you know, with marriage or divorce. Like, let's just remove that and let's just cohabit together rather than getting married. Right? Instead of dealing with marriage and divorce, the way that the trend is going now, and let's just live together, is easier and it's less messy. Well, that's at least the thought. But what this has done on, on a cultural global level is that there's a shift. There's a fundamental shift in humanity to really understand like what relationships are even supposed to be like especially when it comes to a man and woman in marriage, in this covenant marriage that so many of us have grown up in, there's this complete fundamental shift in the way relationships are seen. And anytime you teach on divorce in a church, it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one to say, to be like, hey, welcome to church, let's worship, let's talk about divorce. That's all we're gonna talk about today. And mainly, right, the, the sensitivity to it is the nearness of it to so many of us. And I'm going to precursor today that this, depending on your personal history, this just may be that much harder to hear, depending, right, on where you're at and where you've come from and what you've gone through. And this by no means, like, is an exhaustive teaching on marriage and divorce and all the aspects and all the nuances and, all, and every part that could happen. But I'm totally happy to talk to you about those things uh, afterwards or set up a time. I would love to, to try to help and pray and help you navigate through that. Um, because the truth is, is that life, especially when it comes to, to marriage and divorce and reasons for divorce and remarriage and stepfamilies, things get really complicated and really messy. And in one way or another, most of us uh, are involved with that, right? Most of us have some part of our family these days that's not the typical, not the typical way. And, and everybody's married and everybody's happy and everything's good. And many times when we hear these truths that we hear in Scripture today, it's not that the actual truth is hard, which, which, which can be the case. But rather, what's hard about hearing this stuff is the ability to navigate how it applies to our own lives, right? We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So if God's word says this, and this is what God's intention is, and you line it up to your own life, and that didn't happen, that isn't happening, what's, what's hard is the ability to know, how does this play out in my own life? How does it, what does it mean for me? If I did or I didn't do things the way God intended, the way God wanted, the hard part is navigating it, living through it or living out of it or living now because of what happened in the past. But as Christians, the reason why it's so important to us to know what God says about this is that we're called to take cues from Scripture, not from the culture around us. And it's really easy to, to do the opposite. Well, this is what happened with so-and-so, and this is what is the norm now, and this is what happens. And we begin to make our, um, our plumb line with the way of the world rather than Scripture. What we measure up our own lives to instead of Scripture, it's the world. But as Christians, we are absolutely called to make the Word of God our foundation 
the way in which we live our lives, even in the messiest, most complicated, difficult parts of life, which can be marriage and divorce and the effects of that. We're called to take our cue from Scripture rather than the culture around us. That's why it's so important that we don't just skip over this stuff just because it's hard. It would be so easy to be like, you know what, guys? Let's just go to Mark 10 this. Let's go to chapter 11. But it's so important that we look in, what does God have? What did he intend it to be? And how does it apply to our own life? And ask the spirit of God for help and wisdom to navigate the messiness that many of us live in. So here we go. Verses one and two. Um, I'm just gonna jump through the text today, work through it. Verses one and two really sets the scene of what is happening. Right, so it picks up, and Jesus here, he's, he's, he's in Galilee last week, and now he's leaving Capernaum. He's leaving the city on the northern edge of Galilee, and he's going down to the region of Judea, verse 1 says, and into the east of Jordan. And it says, once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them, and then the Pharisees came, and they tried to trap him with this question of divorce. And so he leaves Capernaum, and he's actually heading south into the region of Judea because he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. He's, he's on his way from northern Israel down to the middle of Israel where Jerusalem is, and he's in the region of Judea here. And as always, right, there's crowds following Jesus to be healed and set free and to come to see who they've heard about, this miraculous man that is healing everybody and doing all these miracles. And it says the crowds are gathered around him, and as usual, he's teaching them. He's using this opportunity to teach them kingdom principles of who his Father in heaven is and how it applies to our lives. And he begins teaching them. And the Pharisees, as you remember, are these hyper legalistic and religious leaders that are really always trying to find fault. They're always trying to catch Jesus saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And so once again, they bring up this idea of divorce and they ask Jesus this question about divorce and Jesus answers them. So verses three through five kind of brings us back to the Old Testament for a second. And it says in verse three that Jesus answers their question about divorce with another question. He says, what did Moses say in the law, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said, a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to our hard hearts. The debate here is centering around the Mosaic law, the old covenant, the old testament, the law given to Moses. And it comes from primarily Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. I have it up on the screen here. It says this. This is the Old Testament. This is what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because she has, uh, he was found some uncleanliness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. And so these Pharisees, knowing the Old Testament, come to Jesus, and they say, what do you think about divorce? They, they know what the Old Testament says. They're trying to trap him, it says here. Because at the time, divorce, just like today, was heavily debated. 
It wasn't just cut and dry, black or white. Even 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, in Israel, it was heavily debated. And there was two schools of thought when it came to interpreting Deuteronomy 21. Excuse me, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Really, it was actually two different rabbis at the time, and they had two different interpretations of what uncleanliness meant. One would say that uncleanliness would constitute anything that the husband thought was unfavorable about his wife. I mean, down to you didn't do the dishes right. One school of thought interpreting Deuteronomy 24 was if a husband was not satisfied with everything, and there was one thing even that he was not satisfied with his wife about, you could legally divorce her, you give her a certificate, and it says you can just send her out of the house. That was one school of thought. There was other rabbis at the time that said, no, that is not what it means. That is not what scripture says. That is not what the law says. Uncleanliness is only sexual immorality and unfaithfulness. That's what it means. It's not so flippant as just washing the dishes wrong or, or making you sad for the day. So there's two differing opinions. One said only, you could only divorce by sexual immorality. And one said anything that was unfavorable. The reason why this question that the Pharisees asked Jesus was a trap is they were trying to get him to agree with either one of these rabbis. The Pharisees wanted Jesus either to deny what Moses said or to go against popular opinion. They wanted to, in front of the crowds, call him out, and they wanted to cause him to say something that was really controversial that was going to get him in trouble and lose his credibility. And what Jesus does, is I love it, is that he, 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 he slightly changes the subject. He doesn't. But in a lot of ways, he, he, he stops from answering their question directly, and he reminds them of God's design of marriage. You're talking about divorce right now? I want to remind you the purpose of marriage. Before you want to end marriages, I want to, I want to talk to you about why there are marriages. Right? He goes back to the root of the problem. He's now transitioned from a talk about divorce, and now he's, he's transitioned to a talk about marriage. See, the problem was that they didn't understand, the problem was not that they didn't understand the law about divorce. The problem was that they didn't understand what God had said about marriage. And so what Jesus does is he says this in verse 6 through 12. He responds to these accusations, these questions, this trap, and he says, but God... Let me remind you about marriage, but God made male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one, since they no longer are two, but one. So let no one split apart what God has joined together. Verse 10. Later, when, when he was alone with the disciples in his house, they brought up the subject again, and he told them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a man divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. So Jesus steps away from divorce for a second and he brings up, he reminds them of God's design from the beginning. I mean, it's so interesting that Jesus brings them back to the beginning. Literally, Genesis chapter 2. 
to the beginning of Scripture, to the beginning of the Pentateuch in the Old Testament. He brings them back to the beginning. And today, many of us, when we look at Scripture or when we think of marriage or divorce, divorce excuse me, we want to say, well, we just live in different times. Or the rules are different today. Or we need a more modern understanding of scripture. And what this is a great reminder of is no, we don't. We actually need to remember the beginning of creation to understand how we should live currently. And this is what is happening in 2,000 years ago in Israel. And this is what we should think and how we should act today. The Bible is very relevant and very real and for us today, and even though it was written many, many thousand years ago, it's for us and it's God's will and it's God's plan and Jesus takes them back to the beginning. You're talking about ending marriage? Let me, talk, let me remind you what marriage is before we even begin to talk about that. Jesus knew the answers were in going back to the beginning. And so he goes back to Genesis to remind them the way it was supposed to be. So, right, you have to remember what he just, just said here in Mark. Now, back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, I have it on the screen for you. Genesis 2, 18 through 25 gives us a blueprint for God's design for marriage. It says this. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's very true. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And so out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him and he slept. And when he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and he brought her to the man and said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Look at verse 24. For this reason, because of this, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is not something you just hear at marriage ceremonies. This is actually God's design for humanity. This is how it's supposed to be. It's not just something you hear like, oh, the two have become one and they're no longer separate, they're together. It is absolutely rooted in the design of how God made us. And the significance of Jesus' words there, it, it, it's really potent because Jesus made it pl plain here that, that couples, you have to forsake your singleness, right? So a man shall leave his father and mother, and they should become one flesh relationship. So they both, in fact, they are, they are, but they should become one. And the term joined to his wife has the idea there in the original language of gluing two things together, like actually adhering to each other for the purpose of not coming apart. And the idea here of, of being joined together is literally yoked together. 
In the same way that two animals are yoked together as they, as they wear that wooden yoke plowing a field. Literally, when, when couples are, are married, when they come together, they're yoked in such a way, they're joined in such a way that they're to work together and head the same way to really be joined the way God wants them to be joined. And so you have to understand, it's so much more than just little vows that you say to one another on a wedding day that makes you married. It, 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 it's supposed to be, it's wrapped up literally in all that we are, that we were separate and now we're to be together, we're to forsake our singleness for, for each other and we're to do it together, yoked and glued, heading towards Christ together and we're in this and we're not supposed to break apart. That's, this is like the vivid illustration and imagery of God's design when it comes to marriage. One commentator said, the law of God was not that a man should forsake his wife whenever he had a mind to it, but that he should rather forsake his father and mother than his wife, loving his wife as his own body. So rather than just getting out of a marriage relationship because things get really hard and you don't like it anymore. The idea is actually you forsake everything else so that you can stay together. A complete opposite many times of why marriages end. Right? Like all the time, um, even, even my own parents, right? The reason for divorce was irreconcilable differences. That's one of the main ones that you can get divorced for, and you hear it all the time with celebrities, and what happens in the world is irreconcilable. We could not reconcile our differences, right? It got so bad that we no longer want to, can be, do life together. We can't be yoked, we can't be glued, and so we're out. I know it's so much more complicated than that. I'm just using it as the analogy here. But... But what, why, why Jesus does this and why it is so important that we do it is it's so important that we remember the importance and purpose of God's original design. Because you have to know, God made everything with a purpose and for a reason. He didn't just tell you to do things or don't do things because he wanted to see you suffer <laughs> or he wanted to hurt you or he wanted to confine you especially when God tells us to do something or not to do something, you can be sure, we can be sure that God has the best of intentions in mind when he tells us to stay away or to stop or to go or to stay. Like when we hear the commandments of God, when we read God's word in a day like this, and when we're instructed to only get divorced for this reason or Oh, stay married for this reason. When we hear these things, you have to remember that there is a purpose and a reason and God made us. He actually knows us best and from the beginning, this is the best way that we will be most hopeful and most joyful and will be most life-giving. And I know many of you in this room saying, no, that is not how marriage is. That is not my marriage. That is not how my marriage was you are crazy. But at the foundation of God's design, 
pre-sin was this beautiful, wonderful union between men and women. That is God's intention. That is God's purpose. That is God's design in marriage. And thinking about God's design, I was reminded of the children of Israel. You know, when Deuteronomy was written, you know, the children of Israel had been rescued out of bondage, out of Egypt, and they're, they're wandering through the wilderness. They're traveling to the promised land, and God gives them the law. The law is more than just the Ten Commandments. It's actually 613 ceremonial and moral laws that they were to live by. And God gave them these laws really for their own benefit, so that they could be blessed, so that their lives could be full of joy and hope, and so that they wouldn't end up like many of them did in hurt and pain and disaster and ruin and ultimately death. See, the children of Israel were God's chosen people. They were his covenant people. And due to them being this, they were to be set apart to act and look differently. And so God gave them all these laws and these instructions for their own benefit, for their own good. And what happened? The, the, most of the story is they did not adhere. They did not obey. They did not follow. And it ended, it ended really badly. But God's intention and his purpose was so good and so right. And so when God lays out these very clear or um, and some of us might think very strict or harsh or really black and white commands that can be really hard for us, especially if we haven't done them the way God wanted us to do them. Or we're in the midst of a divorce or we're, in the, we're, we're freshly divorced. or The reason why these can be so hard is that they're so relevant and it, it's so important that instead of listening to culture and society and be led by emotion and to be led by whatever, is that we remember God's heart and intention when he gives these commands, right? Because the commands that we're hearing today is, well, you know, you should marry and you should stay married. And the only reason for divorce is to be, is, is if you're uh, maritally unfaithful. And the only way you can remarry is if your previous divorce was due to marital unfaithfulness. Right? All these commands, all these, all these instructions that we hear from the Lord, we need to remember his heart and intention. It's for our good and it's for his glory. And also, we need to remember that that marriage, earthly marriage, is actually supposed to be a vivid picture of the relationship that we as the church are supposed to have with Christ. We have to remember that, that marriage is, is dear to the Father's heart, even though Scripture would also say that there's no marriage in heaven, right? It's a temporary earthly thing that happens between man and woman. But God really cares about it because the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church, the bride and the bridegroom. Paul's letter to the Ephesian says this. He describes this earthly marriage relationship as the relationship between Christ and the church. It says this, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. It says, submit 
to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is a savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Does that remind you of anything we just read? This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you is also to love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul, Mark, Genesis, it's all connected. God's design for marriage, the purpose, the importance, the value in it. So what do we, what do, we do with this? Right, when discussing any heavy, cultural, personal subject like this, we have a tendency to swing one of two ways, especially if you've gone through this. Right, these are the two options. One, one is that you hear what was just said, and you just dismiss it, and you don't listen, and you don't care, and you're just done with it. I'm going to do my own thing. This is right for me. That's fine. It's not for me. The other way is you hear this and it's just so hard and it's so overwhelming and maybe even confusing and maybe you even feel too shameful, right? It's just so hard what you went through and what, what, what you went through when it comes to marriage and divorce that you push away, that you push away. I know that's the truth. I'm not dismissing it, but it's so hard for me. I'm just gonna push away and I can't deal with it. Both are very damaging and dangerous, The key, the key, I believe, is, to, is, is our need. We need to exalt marriage. The purpose, the design, the importance. As Christians, we have got to have a large, God-sized reminder of what marriage is supposed to be like. We have to remember that. But also, if that has broken down in our lives, in our personal lives, right? We're, we're sitting here divorced today or remarried, or whatever you are in this room today, if that has broken down, we need to not only exalt that, but we need to receive grace from the Lord. You have to receive God's grace and mercy and forgiveness this morning. You have to have both. We need to have a grand view of marriage, but if that's if we messed it up, if someone else's, if, if, if it's gone wrong, if that has not happened for our own lives, we need to receive God's restorative grace. We need to have a high value like God does. Not quickly jump in or jump out or give up on marriage. We need to see it as a covenant before God, right? We need to see it in the way that it's supposed to be seen and lived out. That doesn't make it easy, <laughs> 
That does not for a second make marriage easy, just having this grand view. It just reminds us of the foundation. But for those of you in here that have gotten divorced or remarried, and, and they're in ways that go against God's design and God's plan, don't push away, don't bury it, don't dismiss it, but receive God's love and grace and mercy because this is what God does. He forgives, he fixes, he restores, and he makes all things right. Even the pain of a divorce and a remarriage and marriage and everything that comes with it. And yes, I'm speaking of all the messiness that comes with divorce. All the pain and all the hardship and all the memories and all the, maybe for some of you it's like even the, the text, the email, whatever it is. It's really messy. It's really complicated. But God is with you. And he, along with his spirit, right, can navigate you through that. But what it takes is us being willing to come before him and allow the Lord to heal us and to restore us. So what I believe we can get from this text today, and I believe what scripture says, is I believe it's real clear about how wonderful and amazing and important and invaluable marriage is. And so I believe that we should hold that, like we, that we should strive to hold that, even, the, even especially if you have not had that experience. We need to look back on what God says it's supposed to be and as believers and as Christians in the midst of a world that does not see it that way, that we see it as this wonderful, incredible covenant between man and women under God's authority. But also at the same time, when and if and if that has broken down to hold God's grace and, and mercy and forgiveness in the same hand. Marriage is good and it's wonderful and it's from God. And even if I've messed it up or someone's messed it up or I've been a, a victim of it or if I've done it all, I need to receive God's restorative, healing nature, his redemptive power that's able to just make all things right. And I want to just speak, because I, I, as, a, as a kid of divorced parents, I want to speak into that like, that's a real thing that God can do. God can like, exchange beauty for ashes. Ashes for beauty, whatever it is. Bad to good. Morning to dancing. You get the picture. He can make something so incredibly wonderful out of your story. The story that has been written, the story that you've written, good, bad. It's not the end of the story. The end is beauty and, and, and restoration. And God is so good to do that. And so I want us to, at the same time, value marriage, value it, but also receive. Receive the Lord's grace and mercy and forgiveness this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that your ways are just so much better than our ways. Even when they just seem so hard and, like, and so confusing or so impossible sometimes. Especially when it comes to marriage, God, how, how can it be that good? Or how, how can we do this? Or thank you, Lord, that you are outside of time and you're free of sin and you're bigger and you're better. 
And so God, as believers, as Christians, as followers, as disciples of Christ, we want to have this, this greater view of Jesus when we've obeyed and where we disobeyed. We just want to, we want to, we want to submit and surrender the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives when it comes to, to marriage and divorce and, and remarriage and step families and stepkids and all the complexities that involve this subject. God, we want to lay them at your feet and we want to say thank you that you can sort through it all and that you can strengthen us to walk daily through it all. And that just because some of us have done things wrong. Thank you that that doesn't define us, that that's not our identity, that that's not who you made us to be, that you're a God, that the gospel says that we've been washed white as snow, that you have redeemed us and set us free from our trespasses and our transgressions and all the ways in which we've rebelled. Thank you that you took the penalty of sin for us to forgive us so that we could become new creations and walk, that the old would pass away and the new would come. Thank you that that applies to relationships. That applies to failed marriages and divorce. That, the gospel applies to those things. So God, I pray that our hearts would receive these truths today, that we would walk in these truths that Holy Spirit, that you would anoint us to walk in these truths, that you, that you would give us the power, the wisdom, and the discernment to, to do life. And so God, as we worship you now, we wanna worship you because you are so good and you're worthy to be worshiped. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.